This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's Let's start start with with Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For over 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death, and so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. I had an extraordinary opportunity this past week. I got to interview the great Dr. Raymond Moody, and co-author Paul Perry on a brand new book. And depending on when you're listening, it may already be out. The book is titled Proof of Life After Life, Seven Reasons to Believe There Is an Afterlife. The entire recording is well over an hour. So if you would like to watch the full video interview, just go to wedontdie.com and click on the radio show page. Today, I want to include some of the clips from that magnificent conversation and read to you a little bit about what's in the book. They were kind enough to send me a copy before it gets out to the public. This is one of those interviews that I actually learned some new things about life after death. And I think you will too. So let me tell you about the guys you are going to hear from. First of all, Dr. Raymond Moody 
and Paul Perry are both longtime friends, both New York Times bestselling authors with 50 years of investigating life after death. Dr. Raymond Moody is the leading authority on the near-death experience, a phrase he coined back in the late 70s. His groundbreaking work, Life After Life, completely changed the way we view death and dying and has sold more than 13 million copies. Paul Perry is the co-author of five New York Times bestsellers, including The Light Beyond with Dr. Moody, Saved by the Light with Daniel Brinkley, and Evidence of the Afterlife with Dr. Jeffrey Long. He has co-written a dozen books on near-death experiences, four of them with Dr. Moody, and directed two popular documentary films on the subject. You can visit Dr. Moody's website at lifeafterlife.com, and you can see all that Paul Perry has done at paulperryproductions.com. So today we'll be talking about their book, Proof of Life After Life, Seven Reasons to Believe There Is an Afterlife. I first asked these two gentlemen how they met each other. Hi there. Hello. Thank you so much for this invitation. Well, I'm excited not just to share you, but it's two for the price of one today, two wonderful gentlemen and me. How lucky am I? How did you two first meet, if I can ask that question? Oh, that was interesting. Raymond was uh, working on a book at the time. Was uh, working title was Light Beyond. That's what it ended up being called. And I was editing uh, a major health magazine in New York called American Health. And my agent took me out to lunch one day, and he said, uh, hey, "Would you mind giving uh, Dr. Raymond Moody a hand in writing a book?" And I said, "I don't even know who Dr. Moody is." And he said, "Really?" He named the near-death experience and defined it. And I said, I don't know what a near-death experience is. And so Nat, our agent, says, he's an abrupt guy. And he says, I can't believe it. You're editing a major health magazine. You're not smart enough to know what a near-death experience is. You need to go meet Raymond Moody and study this whole field. And so that's what I did. I went to uh, Atlanta. Raymond was living in uh, Carrollton at the time, Georgia. And uh, we talked about the book, The Light Beyond. We hit it off right away. And uh, one thing leads to another. And uh, since then, we've written, this is our sixth book together. Proof of Life After Life is our sixth book. And one book always leads to a question and the question that needs to be answered. And so that's what we do. We'll write a book and all of a sudden there'll be, with The Light Beyond, it was, gee, there's nothing in this book about children and near-death experiences. And Raymond said, well, you know, there's not much research being done on it, but he directed me to Melvin Morris in Seattle. And I went to, to see Melvin and we wrote, we wrote four books on, on uh, children and near-death experiences and other aspects of the near-death experience. And three of those were New York Times bestsellers. And then it would go on and on. We'd have question after question, book after book. And that's what we did from that point to now is answer these questions. Incredible. Dr. Moody, you yeah. remember when you met Paul? I certainly do. And, and you know, Paul and I, I think we have a great, um, you know, working team here because I, I just tell you the truth. Yeah, all the people who know me very well will tell you it's true. But in fact, 
I am such a bore at the way I think. <laughs> oh, I guess, all right. Listen, I was a professor of philosophy and logic. And my lifelong thing since the age of 18 is ancient Greek philosophy. Well, there's a bestseller for you, right? So what I'm getting at is this is not most people's fare. But it's how I got interested in this. From Plato studied this, and the early Greek philosophers knew about these things. That's how I found out about it in the long run. But, you know, a, a philosopher is <clears throat> going to be the right person to present some of this information to the average person, I think. And so I tend to talk in abstractions and put the information in that context. Whereas Paul can say, hey, just a minute here, professor. You know, that doesn't make any sense to what my, and together we come up with a way, I think, to present information that is sometimes very, you know, complex, hopefully in a way that people will relate to it and, and benefit from it primarily. Raymond is one of the probably the most exciting and interesting person I know. And for reasons just stated, he knows everything. Oh, no. Well, I so know enough to know I don't know hardly anything is the right I am. You know, he, he knows nothing about the Yankees or the L.A. Dodgers. No, no. But, I do know about the professional wrestling. Oh, that's true. That's another that. subject, though. <laughs> we need to follow our passions, right? We can't that's talk right. about the afterlife. Right. But this topic that you're interested in, Sandra, and Paul and I are interested in, it's been my experience beginning at age 18, actually, that when people reach a certain age, and especially so, I think that people who have been so successful that they've spent their lifetime focusing on their business or the busy work and, you know, just focusing on that side of life. When they reach a certain age, say 50s, 60s, 70s, they begin to wake up to this question of life after death, which has been put aside or thought of as uh, trivial or, you know, it doesn't happen or and, uh, and then they just automatically wake up to it. By the way, that reason I found out about that at age 18 was I read it at my hero Plato, my first philosophy class in September of 62. Reading the first few pages of Plato's Republic, I decided then there to shift from astronomy, which is what I went there to study, immediately to philosophy because this why is plato's work still in print at any store 2300 years people should ask themselves that well number one because it is amazing terrific stuff and this republic is about in the end a near-death experience it starts with this old guy who's been very successful in life he says and socrates who's then about 20 meets the old guy says you know kephalos what's it like from your point of view oh kephalos says i've been very successful in my business made a lot of money i've spent all time on my business and now here i am i, I saw all those stories i heard about as the about the afterlife when I was a kid, coming back and 
these people develop this sense of urgency. Then in a later Plato dialogue, I read that same semester, he talked about the importance of this question of life after death. So that's how I got into this. And it's it came from Greek philosophy, where it was a big point of study. And yet, of course, all the other things, too, that that people are concerned about, because I, after I got my PhD in philosophy and as a philosophy professor, I went into psychiatry with my specific interest in it being why people kill people I, from a law enforcement family. It, rode in a cop car when I was a kid. I mean, my brother, a sheriff, my two uncles, chief of police, two cousins. I mean, my dad worked for the DEA as a surgeon and for this drug stuff. And my, you see how it is, you know? So to me, this big question, which I studied from early on is why in the world would somebody kill somebody? So I studied that in psychiatry and I worked in a unit for the criminally insane that was full of these people that you read about in the National Enquirer <laughs> was my daily work. And so through all of this, I have developed, I think, a great peace in one respect with respect to the question of life after death. And not through a logical process, exactly, because there's great logical difficulties in trying to prove an afterlife. But thinking it through myself, I just give up. <laughs> you know, to me, it looks like, yeah, there's a life after death, as counterintuitive as it still seems to me, and having no template from it, but always debating with myself about it. There, It's... This thing about oxygen deprivation to the brain, I'm sorry, that's baloney, but people have the same experience identically who are not themselves ill or injured or going through a resuscitation, but rather who are there in the presence of somebody who is dying. This is a good time to take our break. And then we'll get back. What Dr. Moody's starting to talk about is the shared death experience. I wanted to play all that just so you got a little flavor for who these gentlemen are. They've been at this a long time. So let's go to the break and we'll be back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. 
Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we're listening to Paul Perry and the world-famous Dr. Raymond Moody talking about their brand-new book, Proof of Life After Life, Seven Reasons to Believe There Is an Afterlife. And I'll give you a little sneak preview. Their reasons are all in the realm of this shared death experience. So let's listen to Dr. Moody talk about the shared death experience. It's a very frequent occurrence that people standing around say things like, oh, as grandma was dying, I myself, I lifted out of my body. I started going toward this light with my grandma. Or people say, as grandma was dying, apparitions of the dying person's loved ones come in the room. People see that the whole room fills with light. And most strikingly to me, that in many cases I've studied over the years, the bystanders, at the death of someone else, that as the person is dying, will themselves empathically co-participate in the dying life review of the person there. And this, to me, is startling information, and it makes me try to come up with some reason that I could get myself recused from my life review, because, you know, the idea of itself is enough 
to scare you, to worry about. But, you know, the idea of having a spectator there, these people pass the popcorn, but it happens. And it happens not just to people, as I would have thought, who are intimate and know the person well. But in one case, a medical doctor told me of seeing his dying patient's life review, who had never even laid his eyes on patient before he's just called to the ER to. So what I'm talking about is that something odd is going on here that does not fit into the view of reality that we're pretty much forced to maintain, you know, in everyday life. So, but the older you get, the more you're amenable to explore these things. I noticed that the older I get, the more of my friends or my age had some kind of experience in their life, which is, is like stepping over into some other realm of existence. See, I have a lot of friends who are medical doctors whose medical judgment I would trust 100% if something happened to me. And those same friends of mine tell me that, yeah, they had this near-death experience. And not only was it real, but it was more real than this ordinary reality. And you know the incredible things that happen, if you know the story probably of Anthony Chikoria, the PhD in physiology, MD, a professor of orthopedic surgery at NYU, who had a profound near-death experience and was struck in the head by a bolt of lightning had a cardiac arrest and was at a family reunion, was able to look all around. I saw his relatives who were there at the reunion at the resort center, even though he was apparently dead. And, you know, Anthony said, you know, this is more real. Then Anthony, who had never had any interest in music, started getting fascinated by the piano started having dreams in which he was playing a piano on a concert stage, playing the same music, learned how to play the piano and transcribed this music and is now, in addition to being a you know, renowned orthopedic surgeon as a famed <laughs> concert pianist too. I mean, see, things like that don't make any sense. <laughs> if this this world is as we think by common sense that it is constituted. So you see, and I could go on with it, you know, a dozen other physicians that same story, but I give up. I can't figure out how I could reconcile the fact that I would put my health myself in these doctors' hands, you know, in a life or death situation with the fact that they all tell me that this thing is more real than any reality that I've experienced. I think as human beings, we're hardwired not to believe. Maybe it's to be tied in with the game of life. I'm not there sure. There you go. I've experienced miracles myself, but I wake up in the morning thinking, is this all real? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I it think almost everybody's an experience, some kind of a miracle. Yeah. And they don't recognize it or they don't want to think about it. Mm-hmm. And when you start to mention, for instance, with shared death experiences, which is what this book is about, if you start to talk to people about what you're working on, they w- almost everybody will say, well, I've had an experience like that. And I didn't talk about it because I thought people would think I was wacky or I just never thought it was an appropriate conversation. 
for whatever reason, they don't like to bring it up. Once you bring it up, that you start to open up the flower, as it were, and and people start to deliver uh, information that you previously didn't know was out there. That's how it was with near-death experiences. And this book is vastly different from near-death experiences, which are experiences that take place uh, with people who are at the, essentially at the bedside of someone who's, di- who's dying, and they share their death experience. I saw this old Mainer guy who was in his 80s, who was a GP for all of his career. And he was telling me, and this was at the Council Grove Consciousness Seminar that was put on by the Miniature Foundation. And uh, he was saying that. He had this patient he had had a long time. She was elderly. And she had hypertension, and she had what we call a corbovina, which is a big round art. And it's caused by, if the high blood pressure over a long period of time, the heart sometimes just comes out and looks kind of round from pressure. It's like a cow heart. And these hearts are very irritable. This woman, who was, I think, in her 90s, I'm pretty sure he said, they kept going, and then her heart would stop, and then they would zap her, and she's back. So the woman just passes away. But the, this doctor told me, he said, the, the friend told him that as her friend was dying, she said she herself, the friend, went out of her body and was going up right with her friend toward this light. And she saw the people she recognized as the friends and relatives of her friend, who, and all of them had died and so on. And I mean, I could go on telling you hundreds, more than a hundred, as many as you want stories like that. This near-death experience is not something that is somehow generated by an oxygen deprivation deprived brain. But it's going to take something else than what we have for society to wake up with that. Because this is too threatening for people, for many people otherwise. Some people can accept that there's an afterlife. This idea scares a lot of other people. So we're still going to be stuck for a while in this sort of framework is the reality versus the oxygen deprivation. But, you know, one thing those folks never think of is even if you could prove that it was not oxygen deprivation to the brain, that still wouldn't prove that it's life after death. See, so in a way, the, that is all irrelevant because a certain kind of mind, they've got to have this kind of framework to process it. But when this is going to come all the loose, it's when we can step outside of that framework and look at whole new possibilities about these near-death experiences. What's a precognitive experience? These are not all necessarily related to near-death experiences. I think that's the beauty of a shared death experience. A shared death experience is when someone who is well shares the death experience of someone who's dying. So in the case of a precognitive experience, we have a couple of case studies here of people who had loved ones in China and they were in England and they wake up in the middle of the night and they see uh, this person who's in China standing at the foot of their bed and tells them, I've died and I'll miss you. And, and then that's the end of the experience. It's later proven that this person did die at the same time that they had appeared to this individual. And we have doctors who have seen their fathers. They've woken up and they've seen their father standing there. And the father says, uh, 
you know, you better talk to your mother because I've spoken to her and, and she knows that, I, that I'm dead. You better talk to your mother and get the facts. So that's precognitive. It's, it's that kind of an experience. But there's, there's other ones in here that aren't, they aren't all related to near-death experiences. And I think that's really the power of this book is that this book takes off from near-death experiences, but your subjective experiences. In other words, the person who has, a, has an NDE is the person who has it, and, and no one else has had it, and no one else can really experience what they experienced. But a shared death experience is when someone shares the experience of a dying individual, and that's what makes this book very different. So if you look at things like light, mist, and music, we have, once again, a number of physicians who in a hospital have actually seen a light or a, mi- or a mist leave a person's body as they die. Or we have people who hear music when someone is dying. They'll be in the room and they'll hear music. And sometimes there might be several people in the room with this individual who hear music and then several who don't. And that's one of the puzzles of shared death experiences. You were mentioning too earlier, uh, Sandra, about out-of-body experiences, which are, yes, that is a a rather mind-boggling part of near-death experiences. They often say they hear the doctor pronounce them dead or say that they've died or whatever, but they say from their point of view, they feel that they actually leave their physical bodies and they drift up typically in most of the stories I hear that's in an operating room or medical facility or whatever. So people say they can rise up, they see their body down below, they can see the doctors and nurses working on it, but their consciousness is separated. And then they say in this circumstance, it's you can understand what the doctor or nurse or whoever are communicating, but you don't hear their voice, that you sort of pick up on what they're communicating by mind. When they try to communicate in turn that nobody can hear them, kind of dawns on them that this might be connected with what we call death. And so with that realization, they say they go through this passageway into another world. This is a great time to sneak in a break. And we'll be right back with Paul Perry and Dr. Raymond Moody talking about their new book. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is she breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's Dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and you're listening to a conversation I had with Dr. Raymond Moody and Paul Perry this week on their brand new book called Proof of Life After Life, Seven Reasons to Believe There Is an Afterlife. I feel so grateful that they picked me for their first interview, and they were kind enough to send me a copy of the book before it went out to the public. So there's a high chance that you're hearing this information before the rest of the world. The foreword of the book is by Eben Alexander, who wrote, of course, Proof of Heaven. I want to tell you what the seven reasons to believe are. Reason number one, out-of-body experiences. Reason number two, precognitive experiences. Reason number three, the transforming light. Reason number four, terminal lucidity. Reason number five, spontaneous muses, healings, and skills. Reason number six, light, mist, and music. And reason number seven, the psychomantium. We all like hearing stories about what people experienced. And this book is filled with stories, but not just any stories, stories from doctors. Let's continue with Paul Perry talking about terminal lucidity. We had one really incredible story from the 1930s of a woman who had meningitis as a child. 
and as a result was essentially non-functional her entire life. She couldn't speak. She couldn't communicate in much of any way at all. As she was dying, she started singing. And she started singing a song. She never communicated, like I say, anything before. She started singing a song, saying it so beautifully that the medical staff was weeping and they were all pouring into her room to hear this phenomenon take place. And she seemed to have acquired information. She seemed to have acquired knowledge in her final moments. She sang, and then shortly thereafter, she died. That's also known as terminal lucidity, where yeah. someone becomes very lucid at the point of being terminal. Yeah, I was just thinking there are people, too, that whether it's dementia, there's nothing left. And then there are these bursts. There can be yeah. bursts of they recognize everybody in the room. That's right. See into beyond. Is that all could be tied in with this terminal? Yes, lucidity? this is terminal lucidity. That's right. There was was one written about in Time magazine where a doctor wrote about uh, an oncologist. And this person he was talking about had essentially a head full of tumors. And he was just dead. He was essentially living dead. But at the last moment, when his children came into the room, he popped out of it. And he spoke with great lucidity about how pleased he was to be their father and uh, what he would like to see continue in the family. And they thought, he's healed, we can take him home. And within a few hours, he passed away. That's the story of Terminal City. It's, uh, I think it's going to be one of the most common paranormal experiences. Yeah, you know, Sandra, people used to know about this as just folk knowledge. They called it faith. F-E-Y, I think, was, if you look in the Oxford English Dictionary, the sort of central definition of that is a state of extraordinary enhanced consciousness that portends imminent death. And people knew about that when people died at home. But then people started dying in the hospital. But see, if anybody, I mean, I can attest this. You know, I, obviously, one of my activities as a medical doctor a lot of it had to do with the terminally ill because i was known for that and people would call me in and so on it anybody who is in that situation for any period of time hospice workers or whatever you're going to see this and the trouble is when you describe it it's like you can nobody can believe it. I know the description, but all right, here is the description. It's like as a person died, they've even been demented. I mean, it's like the, no communication for a long time. And then as they die, here you go. Hold on to your hat. They light up, I swear to you. And it's not the light coming from a light bulb or from the sun. It's coming from inside of them. It's just this pure light. It's also called a lightning experience, by the way. Yeah. And and people, um, it's, it's like they become completely coherent. It's like my uncle, as he was dying, went around and gave a message to everybody in the family personally. And yet, you know that you know that if you talk about this, nobody else who hasn't seen it is even capable of believing it. I, I had this guy who was a well-known oncologist. <laughs> he was, I guess, in his 70s when he was telling me this. 
He said he had this patient he had been dealing with for a long time, and so the patient had died, and so they had covered the patient up with the sheet. So the doctor was standing around with the family, who he had known all a long time. And suddenly they saw the twitch from, from under the sheet and get it up, and he sits up, <laughs> and he starts talking to everybody very coherently. And then he just sort of sat back down, dead. My friend said, he said, unless those other people had been there with me, he said, I would have concluded that I had had a hallucination. <laughs> it's just that uncanny when you say it, it really is. I think it's more common than people recognize. Yes, absolutely. It's now now starting to be included on uh, uh, whatever the medical records are. There's now a a, a description description of terminal lucidity. And it just happened. And now they're starting to find that it's it's quite common. Yeah. Bystanders often say, is what? This man flew all the way from Australia to see me to tell me about the experience he had with his wife when he was dying. He was getting ready to go to the store for a minute, and so he just wanted to come in this house and be right back. But when he walked in the room, he said it was like, oh, my God, she's perking up. And it was like they had a really heartfelt conversation, and he thought that she's turning around. So he went to the store, and as you can imagine, when he came back, she was dead. And I will remember that look on his face when he told me. He said, what? It was like, he said, she already had one foot on the other side. And the mystified look on his face. It's not something that is easy to put aside as oxygen deprivation to the brain i'll tell you that <laughs> these experiences are amazing i mean this in putting together this book i feel like i've heard everything and seen everything and i discovered that wasn't true in putting this book together one of the things that was very unique to me is that years ago if you told a doctor you were, you were working on a book on a new, on near-death experiences Many of them would poo-poo it. They would deny that it took place. Uh, now you start to hear stories from physicians. Many of the stories are in this, in this book. We have a large number of physician stories. And then some of them, like one that really amazes me is, is uh, people who see a mist coming out of someone who's dying. Yeah. Because not only have we spoken to several doctors who have <clears throat> come out of people who are dying, but the description of what happens is the same is that they'll see a mist and the mist forms and seems to get sucked into a tube or sucked into some hole in or disappear through the ceiling through the ceiling i mean the description is the same which is good news because it means that it's it's a legitimate phenomenon if it repeats certain elements it's a legitimate phenomenon i mean i gotta be honest i've seen it myself i mean i just only mackerel walk was that it presents itself to as a mist to us because um a mist is a symbol of the unknown or the unknowable or the, i guess it's clouds themselves which we now understood to you know you remember in the eighth grade you learned that that system of classifying the four types the cumulus and the stratus and cirrus and nimbus and the 
that came about in the 1830s because up to that time, see, the common sense was that clouds are unknowable because they're unintelligible, ephemeral, changeable. And they were the very symbol people. It was what the people symbolized unknowability or unintelligibility, that it's unstable. And because knowledge, by contrast, is something solid, stable, so that knowledge of the clouds would, by definition, be. And people were ridiculed, like up in the clouds, we say, you know, and in the clouds, we still say those things. That was something utterly unintelligible and beyond reason and knowledge. Then this guy named Luke Howard, who was a pharmacist and who traveled in his business back and forth, was just interested in this, got to watching clouds through the carriage or whatever, drawing on it. Then he realized, oh, my God, there's different types of them. Some of them are big and puffy. So he published this paper from a scientific society he belonged to. And it created a sensation because, as you can imagine, anybody who cared to read the paper and then wanted to walk outside could see he was right, right? Because we can all see it for ourselves, once you? And so I think, you know, something like that has got to happen because this is so, what in the world are we dealing with with a mist coming out of somebody's body when they die? I asked these guys if they thought shared death experiences happen because people are in the present moment. We like to believe that doctors are in the present moment. You do have to have a peaceful mind, a present mind, but you also have a lot of have to have a lot of empathy. I think empathy is a real factor in all these experiences. Interesting. People with empathy can be in a room with someone who's dying and they can lend their empathy to the person. And sometimes other people just can't do it. They just can't be around someone who's dying. Sharing feelings of another is so important in life and apparently in death. Let's go to the break and we'll be back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always gonna have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. 
There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. My book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death, came out in 2013. In 2014, I started We Don't Die Radio, interviewing people about why they believed in the afterlife. In the beginning of 2020, Tom, producer of Coast to Coast AM, came to me with an idea to create Shades of the Afterlife as he liked my work. It would be a podcast of me reporting on various reasons to believe in the afterlife. Shades is now going on three years old, and I'm proud of both my podcasts. I know I have a different set of listeners for each one, and some people listen to both. Every so often, I have a guest so spectacular that I feel I need to share on both platforms. Today, I feel the same way. What you're listening to now is an edited version of a very long video conversation I had with Dr. Moody and Paul Perry. If you wish to watch the entire thing, go to wedontdie.com, click on the radio show page. Trust me, when I think something can really make a difference, I want to get it to as many people as I can as fast as I can. So let's continue listening to some words by Dr. Raymond Moody. I tell you, it's just a mystery when a person who almost dies has an experience of seeing another world. And it's a mystery multiplied when a bunch of people (laughs) see an afterlife, the death of somebody else. But, you know, the reality is we just don't have the mind to compute it. 
My hero of the afterlife thinking is still David Hume, the great skeptic who influenced Einstein, for example. He was 1711 to 1776, the archetype of the skeptic. He was so skeptic, he said, as to the impressions which arise from their senses. He said, it's utterly beyond the rational possibility to determine whether those things arise from the objects or are from the creative power of our mind or from the author of our being. You know, it's like the old assumption that we live in a physical world. That is all a product of consciousness and inferences about consciousness. And that's the real thing. And Hume said, by the mere light of reason, it seems difficult to prove the immortality of the soul. Now, there's an understatement. And he went on to say, some new species of logic is required for that purpose. And some new faculties of the mind that they may enable us to comprehend that logic. Now, that is the brute reality. That's the real, that's the fact. No matter what anybody wants to say or, you know, it's, that's the real fact. And so, see, it's traditionally been in thought that that's the end of it, you know, that that's impossible to me. I say, no, absolutely not. We can do it. There are new ways of thinking logically. And if you apply these new principles of logic, you can open faculties of your mind you didn't know you had. Mm -hmm. And that when you put those things together, we can actually prepare our minds in advance. So that when subsequently we happen to have a near-death experience, we can come back and tell everybody else about it in a whole new way. I guarantee you, what I'm saying is, if you're curious about the afterlife and all, I just mean in this book, by proof of an afterlife. I'm a logician. I, you know, I've studied proof. There's all different kinds of proofs. What I want to say here is, is there proof of an afterlife? That's what most people want to know. And from what I have studied and what I've listened to lots of people about what they mean when they're trying to say, what kind of proof do you want? What I can say is this. I can say that as a logician, a person who's taught logic and philosophy, I can say that it is a rational thing for you to anticipate that when you die, some amazing thing is going to happen that will sort of transfer you into a whole different level of reality. And that that's what I'm anticipating. Not It's not a matter of believing or disbelieving. It's, it is for me. So in that sense, yeah, there's a proof. There's For those who, you know, not symbolic logicians or whatever, but just ordinary folks wanting to know, is there a rational basis for this? Say, absolutely, absolutely. Good news. Paul, what do you have to say about that? Well, I heartily concur with that. And I know I was did want to mention that there's uh, a lot of people who want to know how to access Heaven's Gate, if you will. Mm-hmm. And one of the theories they've come up with is the theory of background information. And what that says is, is that on a daily basis, we're hit by 
thousands, if not millions of bits of information. You know, everything from everything you see visually to everything you read, all your opinions, your own self-talk and other people's talk. And that what happens when people reach the state of having an afterlife open up to them is that somehow all of this background information, the unnecessary information is cleared out of their mind and they're able to focus on the real background information, which is what happens to us on a, a supernatural way. To do that, many people have, have uh, done deep meditations. They've done dark room meditations, things like that. And there's still a long way to go in figuring out how to access this afterlife, if you will. But that's one theory of it. That Once you clean out the background information, you have a, an open gate, if you will. I like it. What's the psychomantium? Well, that's something I found out about when I was 18 years old, which I thought was hogwash. I am a great fan of the Greeks, and when I was 18, I had a great course reading Herodotus, the historian. These ancient Greek oracles of the dead, they wrote about them. They had places where you could go, where you go through procedures, and you would seem to see and talk to deceased relatives. And so, to make a very long story short, I also studied psychiatry and in altered states of consciousness. I had been studying for some time the phenomenon where if you have a vacant space in your vision field, like a glittering space or a, a clear depth, they call it, like you can take a silver bowl and highly polish it on the inside, fill it with olive oil, and then in a darkened room, you gaze by candlelight or some low illumination. You gaze into that. And many people under those circumstances have these hypnagogic visions where they, they see this very lifelike, not like mental imagery, but very lifelike three-dimensional vision. And I had known about that, and I experimented it with my uh, psychology students. But in um, 1985, 6, 7, I found in an archaeological journal that an archaeologist I already knew about, Soterios Dacaris, he was a very famous Greek classical archaeologist, had rediscovered this place, the Oracle of the Dead, and had excavated it. Based on what they found there was in the apparition chamber, they found a large cauldron, bronze cauldron, and it was surrounded by a balustrade. This was obviously the place you saw the visions, and there was torch marks on the wall showing it was illuminated. You stayed down there for 29 days talking about the person who died and so on. Then you were, went into a cut stone maze in complete darkness, felt your way into this chamber, and there, gazing into this, you saw the apparitions. Soterios hadn't figured that part out. I have had figured that part out. And, and so I went to his place in 93 or something, 94, and I told him about, no, I think what it is is this, because I had recreated it by then, and he said, yeah, like then he realized, he showed me some books of people saying, he had just never put two and two together, but uh, I tried it out, you, you just set up a room where there's a, 
mirror and it's a darkened room but the mirror is placed higher than your line of vision so you don't see your reflection the room is darkened you don't see reflections there's a gentle light behind you illuminated just gently but the primary thing is the preparation like you you think about talk about with your friend like the the person who died what was this person like what are your best memories what are your sticking points in the relationship so then after this preparation you go in there and you just gaze into the mirror and people have extraordinary things i, mean, I was not expecting what the result i was uh, my graduate students of psychology then as time went the, my medical colleagues a psychiatry colleague uh, and a uh, clinical psychologist colleague and a sociology colleague and an anesthesiologist were my subjects and these were people who were informed about the mind so i figured that if anybody that did have a vision that said yeah raymond i saw my grandma or was it real or was it that was what i was expecting but imagine my surprise when my colleagues and graduate students came out of there not saying i saw him but yeah i talked to my grandma and it was startling to me it was a way i mean i had no idea of what i tapped into and uh, what people say is that some say the image appears in the mirror and they uh, others say that yeah the image appears in the mirror but then the image comes out into the room their book proof of life after life seven reasons to believe there is an afterlife has instructions about setting up your own psychomantium also remember to visit dr moody's site at lifeafterlife.com and paulperryproductions.com and visit us at wedontdie.com. Click on the radio show page, come to a free Sunday gathering, take a medium class with us, and more. I'm Sandra Champlain. Thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, 
host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.